I have called you all here today to build the castle. Will you put together a very fancy castle for me? I have the best idea. We'll build a panic room next to the chocolate room. No, no, no. The chocolate room obviously has to go next to the nap room. Guys, guys. If we build a butterfly garden and pigsty, we will get a fountain. What? A fountain, I tell you. Oh, oh I think Ludwig <sighs> died. No more Castle Falkenstein. Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined today by Jacob. Hello. By Leslie. Hello. And by Hunter. Hi. It's a it's a full house today. We're super excited. We're going to be talking about Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It's really, really cool. Really, really fun. If you've played either of those games, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a mashup. Uh, but first, let's talk about what we've been playing. So I know you guys have been playing a lot of legacy games, you yes. mentioned. Yes. I feel like our all our weekends are legacies. <laughs> Um, we finished Charterstone, which I won't talk about too much because you guys are on game four. Yeah, that's right. And I believe you can catch that on stream. Yeah, you can catch that on stream as well as on YouTube. Shameless plug. Yeah. Yep. We didn't video ours, but <laughs> I will tell you, I won the game, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I think Hunter might have <laughs> a difference of opinion on how cool it was. No, I, I may have jested earlier, but I think... My experience with both that and Scythe the campaign were, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that people had a chance to be competitive even when they weren't necessarily in the lead the whole time is very important to me in a game of that nature. Oh, yeah. for sure. Essentially, in the very last game, about halfway through the game, I figured out that I was not going to win that game. Okay. But I saw a path to possibly win the whole thing, and I just went for it, and it worked for me so i'll tell you more later after yeah after we finish, finish our game. yes <laughs> yeah maybe when we review charterstone yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've played that with another couple and now we are playing with the same couple another friend betrayal legacy okay yeah. i know jacob's talked about that before yeah yeah we are five chapters in which i guess is six games if you include the prologue yep yep yeah so what are you what are your thoughts currently on that like you're almost halfway through the game yeah and the thoughts and comparisons between, I guess, that and Betrayal Base? Well, neither of us really like Betrayal Base. Nope. Um, I think... <laughs> Not at all. My biggest problem with the base Betrayal game is player elimination. Okay, yeah. This, while still has player elimination in yeah. some cases, we have had cases where nobody died, which becomes a real problem when you need ghosts on the board. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yep. The story element is entertaining enough that we're still excited to keep playing. And I think part of the excitement comes from the fact that one of the the wife and the other couple we play with is super into horror movies. So uh, she gets yep. real excited. That did, yes. Yep, that did do it. And she yep. just won her first game, which was really pretty exciting i think for me the story is really interesting yeah. like it's not the best storytelling in the world but it is very environmental and visceral yeah so that's really really like just draws you in and i also think i actually like the fact that it almost doesn't matter if you win or lose an individual game so it kind mm-hmm. of takes some of the pressure off of competing 
and it makes it more just kind of like just play the game for the experience, which I think is actually a thing I've thought about when I wanted to design a long-term game is just take the competition out and make it an experience. Yeah, we really enjoy the part where you have to name your character at the beginning and you have to give them an age and, you know, write down their fate and and Mm. that (laughs) stuff. And our friend Matt that plays with us always gets really into playing the characters and everybody has voices for their characters. It's... I'm not good at that, but um, yeah. You're good at whispering, though. Yes, I did end up in a room where I was not allowed to speak above a whisper. Oh, I love that room. That was great when that happened. Yeah, except I was there for a really long time. Like, while the haunt happened. Oh, God. (laughs) Do you have any, like, tiles that are just like, oh, God, this tile again, or, like, one that's, like, horrible, too difficult to get off of or anything Mm -hmm. like that? No, we did end up with a corner in our last game that had a large obstacle and a small obstacle, and we had to get past it to get to the MacGuffin to win. And there was a pile of monsters on it. So that was tricky, yes. But not a specific tile. It was more of how those tiles fell out i will say it's been challenging that hunter has ended up the betrayer three out of five games and one of those five games we didn't have a traitor and they're random one it was because he was playing the youngest character like it had nothing Mm. to do with who found it yeah even though he did find it (laughs) Uh. (laughs) crazy random happenstance man Yeah. yeah I went hunting for the the haunt this last time. I was like, "It's gonna be me. I'm gonna find it." Nope. <laughs> it, it's it's just hunters inherently the the haunt the uh, like you know hunter you hunter you know. You know Are yeah. you haunted? It's clearly just mm-hmm. a traitorous individual. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So we've also been playing Aeons and Legacy with another couple that we played all of Pandemic Legacy season one and two with. It's Aeon's End is a like deck building game, but it's got yeah. some interesting little twists to normal where you don't ever shuffle your discard pile. So everything you put oh, in okay. your discard pile, you just flip your deck over. Oh. So you can kind of stack your deck if you're like paying attention. Yeah. And the story in that's also been pretty fun. I think I've screwed up the rules really badly on setting up the enemy deck. So the first uh. two games were almost impossible. And we were like, this game is really, really hard and frustrating. And then once we set it up the correct way, all of a sudden it was like the clouds had parted and we were starting to have a really great time. And I'd heard that this was like a really great deck building game. We both played the non-legacy version and we mm-hmm. enjoyed it. And I'm pleased with the way this one's going now. I was actually wondering about that one because I've been thinking about getting like another legacy-ish type game because I don't think too many people were jazzed about the ones that I currently have in my collection other than Charterstone. Hence, that's the only one that we're currently streaming. Yeah. And so like, I was just like, this one, I saw some good reviews and all that kind of stuff, but it's, it's good to hear that it's, it's, it's got a good story behind it and all that. And there's a couple of really interesting mechanics that they use to change the game throughout. There's basically a series of enemies and th- and events that you put stickers on once the cards fill up with those stickers they what they call evolve and turn into Ooh. a new card okay oh, and the, cool. each new card ha- comes with a card that also has a storyline that, that talks about what happened oh that's fun so yeah that's pretty interesting we might like games with stories <laughs> yeah Maybe. there's a theme here yeah yeah you know theme. No, that, does sound, that does sound interesting though one of the things about legacy games that I'm starting to realize is that a lot of times story gets doled out in 
very specific moments or increments almost. You know, oh, you finished a game, here's a reveal, move on to the next game. You finish that game, there's a new thing. And this sounds almost more dynamic. Like you can evolve in the middle of a game yep. and reveal a new story. And that's kind of cool. And it's also interesting because sometimes you can either suffer the penalty of that card or choose to just suffer no penalty at all except to evolve the card. So like you Ooh. could if you're in a good situation, you can be like, no, no, we're just gonna deal with the penalty the card's giving us. But if you're like in a really bad situation, you'd be like, no, no, we just have to get rid of that card and it's gonna be worse for us like in future games. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Some interesting like choices. That. Yeah. Sort and, of a, and this one's also fully co-op, right? Yes. yes. It's four player up to four player co-op. Yeah. And I like how the cards stay in the same order, which at first I hated. <laughs> <laughs> it's grown on you. It has. It has. And it is a fully playable game after you finish the campaign. Nice. Oh, I, I like that about like some of these. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've got a couple others. I have been playing Shadows of Brimstone with a couple of my friends. So what is that? I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. Yeah. It is kind of like a Gloomhaven. It's a okay. campaign game that's a, like, my friend has bought basically everything that's ever come out for it. And he took a picture once of all of the <laughs> stuff at his place, which took up a about a six by three foot table and stacked with multiple boxes that's impressive the first version was you all play wild west characters but you delve into these caves like dungeon delving Mm -hmm. and there's all these like cthulhu like monsters that you need to fight your way through and you're trying to gain new gear and survive and you can also get derangements and start going insane and take permanent injuries and such and then you can also find portals that take you to other worlds, which we actually haven't even done yet, and I've played the game probably eight or nine times. Oh, wow. And then you afterward, you go back to the town, and then you can go and experience all these events in town. So there's kind of two distinct elements of what you're playing through. It is fiddly. Okay. Mm. But it's pretty fun. Okay. And that's has- pretty much what I've heard from most people that enjoy it. Yeah. It has a lot of miniatures. It has a lot of miniatures. It has a lot of components, just like little tokens for all kinds of things and little decks of cards. So many. Mm-hmm. You really need organizers. I don't know how his organization system makes it hard to play, really. Like, is there a digital aid? I know we've been having a lot of success with the digital Gloomhaven. Yeah, Gloomhaven app. Helper. I uh, believe so. But I'm still skeptical as to if my friend is going to keep the game organized enough that I will have enough interest to keep going. <laughs> I've 3D printed multiple organizer components for him to hope that oh, okay. I will make some of that happen. But yeah, so we'll see. I am I do enjoy it, but I don't know if I'm going to stick with it in the same way I did Gloomhaven where I played it like 60 times. Right. right. Yeah. And it's like your favorite game ever. Yeah. But it is easier to put down and pick up later. Like we played four or five games i don't know six years ago maybe yeah and we just picked it up again and played with the old characters and it was oh yeah no problem yeah awesome there you go we played ancient world oh we did Mm -hmm. and i enjoyed it quite a bit i need to play it again my current review is well a we had a rule wrong which happens a lot when you play a game the first time yeah it's fine especially Um, for us don't want (laughs) i don't want to uh make a call Mm-hmm. without playing it correctly Fair. but currently i feel like it's kind of a lot like city of iron only i like city of iron more sure mm-hmm. and that's my sticking point point. and then the last thing i'll mention before i pass the torch mm-hmm. <laughs> is, you've got a lot to talk about it's good it's been a while since we've been here <laughs> exactly exactly for me it's been forever that's yeah. true we've <laughs> never been here before 
The last one I would, it's a game I haven't played yet, but it's a game called U-Boot, mm-hmm. which I just got from Kickstarter, and I'm very, very excited. It seems like like a really an experience. It kind of reminds me of my dad a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's basically, the board is a 3D punched out cardboard plastic submarine, and you're cooperatively playing on this submarine. And also it's app-driven, so you have an app. The one selling point that really made me excited is you can hold the tablet up when you're like underwater and you put the periscope up and you can degrees around and see what's around your sub. That's funny. And it's basically like if you've played XCOM, it's like that there's four distinct roles that each person has to play. Yeah. And each one has a very different game that they have to do. So in that way, I guess it's almost kind of like a root or a, um, Mm -hmm. Vast. vast except for that it's co-op so i feel like that makes it easier because then you can help people that don't understand mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. the navigator legit has like protractors and and like a little compass there's thing there's a code breaking kit and there's that a code breaking awesome. kit for the that first sounds officer. amazing it looks insane that sounds cool so that's it for me so sometime in our house you'll yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah. <laughs> invite me over so i can play with your sub that'll happen yes 100 I mean, percent. the board a literal a so yeah you showed me a picture it's like three feet long yeah, it's, about. Yeah, I'd say actually it'd probably mean a little bit more, but about that. It's cool as hell. I don't know. I'm five foot two. I don't know if it's quite. <laughs> How many? I'm gonna start measuring things in Leslie's. <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. That is uh, what we've been playing lately, or uh, thinking about playing. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, now let's dive in to Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. So Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig is a game designed by Ben Rossett and Matthew O'Malley, who uh, have been on the podcast and or videos before. And it is a collaboration between Stonemaier Games and Bezier Games to combine their really good games, Castles of Mad King Ludwig and Between Two Cities, into one. It's a game where each person is building... Two castles, one with the person to their right and one with the person to the left over a number of rounds and seeing which of their castles scores lower and that being their final score. All right, so basic gameplay. At the beginning of the game, you start off with the throne room between each player that you are building a castle with, and that will have some various effects on what you want to place around it, giving you kind of a place to start at. And then you will get nine tiles that you will use in the first round and then nine tiles in the second round, which you will pick two from and then pass the stack. And then with those two tiles with your neighbors, you will discuss placing them into your two castles. Yeah. And so when you're placing your rooms into the castles, you are looking at your adjacency a lot of times. A lot of the rooms have synergies when it comes to end game scoring. You know, they want to be next to specific types of rooms. They want to be next to rooms with specific features, things like that. So you're on the lookout for that. But then when you're selecting your tiles, you're also looking out for placement bonuses. Just as with any other Castles of Mad King Ludwig game, you have different types of rooms. So you've got your sleeping rooms, your activity rooms, utility rooms, and each of those has a placement bonus when you reach your third room of that type in your castle. So you're using these you know, adjacency and placement bonuses in order to sort of make your decisions about which rooms are going into which castle. And then as Jacob alluded to, at the end of first one round where you're passing one way and then a second round where you're passing the other way, you're done. You score up your castles and your personal score is the lower scoring of the two castles that you helped to build. So in that way, the game really encourages you to be balanced rather than, you know, forget about one castle and and buff up 
another. And that's, uh, I mean, that's the rules. It's a very simple game to explain. And I think that's one of the reasons we like it. That is absolutely the best part of this game. The fact that, well, there's a lot of really good parts of this game. But I think the biggest selling point for me is it plays seven players and it's really easy to explain. So when everybody wants to play a game and you have seven people and people don't want to learn a new game, usually you end up playing a party game. Right. And my hatred of party games is kind of legendary. <laughs> like, She would rather knit on the couch than yeah. play any party game. I, I will sit and watch people play Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, or, I feel yeah. yeah. At my birthday, everybody was playing Monikers, and I was like, I'll sit here. You guys can Aww. play. It's fine. I'm not interested. But this is a game that everybody can buy into and play and still get that player interaction that you get in a party game without it being a party game, and I love that. Yeah, same. You know, this is a space, I think we talked about it before, actually probably in our Between Two Cities yeah. review, that not a lot of games are operating in. Sort of these high player count, but slightly more gamey, yeah. as opposed to like, organized fun you know <laughs> type, of, type of games uh, and so that's something that i really appreciate about it and really easy for people to get not just into mechanically and learn how to play but get into like buy into the process of creating the castle yeah. all the rooms are so unique they're also evocative you know you've had what did you say the princess room and the sauerkraut room the sauerkraut room i had to choose between the two of them yeah we played this uh, just this weekend and uh it was a stressful decision, I have to admit. It was my first stack. My very first stack, I had both the princess room and the sauerkraut room. And I was right. pretty sad to let go of that sauerkraut room. And see, it's, <laughs> it's exactly those types of decisions, right? These sort of, you know, theme-influenced decisions about, oh, what kind of things are ending up in my castle? What kind of castle am I putting together? Do I have 18 dungeons? Am I a despot? Like, yes. Yep. You're almost telling a story with your castle. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think it's very, you know, people come for the story that they start with their first couple tiles and end with the, you know, strategizing of the placing and everything. I really like that it's a cross cut of a castle instead of like a floor plan. Mm -hmm. So like you're, you're like building like up or down, like from the throne room. Like, you know, you're, you can, you can go all the way to the side if you want. Like, you know, just like keep going, keep going right, keep going right, keep going I did right. That. Yeah. <laughs> I love how like some of the castles like get really strange shapes. I've had multiple times that the castle actually started to look similar to the actual token that <laughs> like the castle was uh, was like being built around. That's yes. cute. And and on that note, I just because I love castles, also possibly something about me that is legendary. But when we got married in a castle, I've actually been to both Castle Neuschwanstein and Hohenschwangau. Uh, Hohenschwangau being the home of Mad King Ludwig, where he was born. Oh wow! Um, wow. And Neuschwanstein was his first castle. So, like you mentioned, the tokens. Each of the tokens is named after an original castle. I'm moving my hands, and you can't see them. <laughs> so that I think thematically it was really cool although i was slightly disappointed that none of them was castle falkenstein but okay <laughs> uh, castle falkenstein was a failed castle by mad king ludwig but ah. also the name of like an rpg in like the 60s or 70s i thought it sounded familiar yeah so yeah. what i'm hearing is the lowest scoring castle in the game each time you play it should it's just be called that castle falkenstein <laughs> yes <laughs> new, new house rule friends preserve exactly theme. exactly but yeah, it's definitely, it's very fun. It's very playful. I, I do think the perspective, again, it's different from either of sort of the parent games, mm -hmm. you know, if you can consider Between Two Cities and Castles of Ben King Ludwig as the parents of this game. The perspective is different than in either of those. And I think it works. 
you get literally inside the castle, which <laughs> just does wonders for your immersion and your enjoyment. And I liked that you called it a mashup. Because <laughs> I, I really do like mashup songs. So the fact that it's a mashup board game um, makes me like it even a little bit more. There you go. <laughs> and we have yet to actually mention the organizer for this, which is oh, yeah. really awesome. It's Game yeah. Trays, I think. And Game Pretty Trays sure, makes yeah. very awesome organizers. And it really adds to the ease of play and setup. You just basically mm-hmm. pull it out and people take a stack out of it and they're already pre-set to the right amount, which... Mm-hmm. As a person that sets up a lot of the games at my house, I appreciate not having to extensively go through the effort of the mini game before the game. Mm-hmm. I'm not even going to argue with that one. He yeah. sets up probably 90% of the games in our house. Especially if you compare this to Between Two Cities itself, which is just a box full of tiles. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah. Like there, there really isn't any organizer for that. So the fact that they put so much effort into having this as an organizer, it's like a stacked two tier organizer that has like everything in it in the right place. Yeah. I think they did a good job of that. Yeah. Super fancy. Yeah. You can turn this box upside down and you're not going to worry about losing anything. Yeah. That said though, I mean, obviously no, no game is perfect. And this one, like any other has gripes or we have gripes about it. Uh, <laughs> one of the biggest, not being, grapes about it, not, not grapes about it. No, you shouldn't put grapes in your board game box. They'll get squishy. Gross. One of the biggest that we have is that it is slightly more strategic than, you know, your typical party game, but there's still not a huge amount of strategic depth. So, you know, if you're looking for a game, that's really going to force you to think heavily about your strategy or that you can really sink your teeth into this probably isn't this is not a crunchy euro that no i mean it's which is is fine you know but especially from our perspective at this table where we enjoy pretty crunchy games yeah you know not a not a selling point I, i do think that based on what enjoyment you get out of the game with the theme and with the maybe shallowness of the game in some ways i don't think i'd replay it two times in a row mm. yeah like if i'm at if i'm having a bunch of people over unless everyone was super in, into it like if everyone was like yes we absolutely must play again i would be absolutely on board but i'd probably be like okay now what's the next game but mm. that one game that i played i'd have had a really good experience with and i still remember the first time i played this at washington last year yeah and i can still remember the one of the two castles that i built and how much fun we had yeah yeah. Yes, he and Verity told many stories about that castle. <laughs> it was the queen's castle, and she was Des- epic. Yes, despite the fact that all the throne rooms only have kings. Boo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things about it, and I, this is sort of funny to follow this up with, but you know, it's easy to learn, it's easy to explain, easy to pick up, but it can be hard to grasp all of the, I want to say nuance, minutia almost. Like Each of the rooms have so many different parts. Yeah. And that's not even a strategic thing about, oh, okay, what has to be adjacent Mm -hmm. to another? It's just hard to parse a room sometimes because you've got, you know, what type of room is it? You have what decoration? Is that what they're called? Like the mirrors versus swords Mm -hmm. type things. You've got that. You have to worry about your adjacency bonuses. You have to worry about any bonuses that you might have, like from basement rooms that are universal. Like it's just hard sometimes to read a room. Yeah. Yeah. That's because King Ludwig was crazy. Right. But, (laughs) no, I agree. Um, Mm -hmm. And to play this game really effectively, you would need to, like, really game the system. But it's almost easier to just ignore that and build a fun castle. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think it's the kind of thing where it's like everyone will know the base of how how the game is played. But then, like, you know, they, they might come up against a room that they're like, wait how does this interact with this other thing how far up does this count how far down does this count like 
how does a chain work? How does a chain look like, you know, whether or not you have certain utility rooms and other kind of rooms, how do they interact? There are definitely some additional aspects to it that almost complicate things a little bit beyond the rules explanation that you get at the very beginning. Yeah. And I think the last thing is the utility rooms. And I think this is something that we've talked about in other Mad King Ludwig games, that they are extremely powerful. Maybe not to the point of being overpowered, but like if you use them correctly, they can really, really hand you the game. And though it's not always the case, I know that in our games, a lot of times like those have been almost a determining factor in a lot of the games that we've played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know from our personal experience, I'll definitely agree. I think utility rooms are hands down the most powerful type of room. And so just to have that little balance tweak I don't think we experienced that situation. With the utility rooms? No, we were the only ones to get a utility room, to get over three utility rooms and get the bonus card. Mm -hmm. Um, And the bonus card did score us like six or nine points. It did, but our joint castle was actually the lowest scoring castle. And I think the highest scoring castle was entirely built based on which rooms were most interesting and it had dungeons and unicorns. I mean, um, and cat cats, I think, too. Oh, yes. They also oh, picked they a cat room. Very yeah, important. Of course. There's multiple rooms that have an image of a cat on them. Mm-hmm. And they definitely selected rooms based on whether or not they had a cat in them or not. <laughs> I mean, valid. <laughs> I think yeah, this sounds like this is not how I played. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of want to play this way. I, I don't want to think about score at all. I just want to go for what would make an interesting castle. Yeah, I mean, I we should try that at some point. I think yeah, that, I think that castle may have also had the sauerkraut room. Ah. No, the other one, the one that won had the sauerkraut room. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sauerkraut room is lucky. Yeah. <laughs> lucky sauerkraut room. Um, we had a ton of utility rooms, but like it was a challenge to get the other stuff that worked with them. Sure. So mm, I don't know if yeah. that, you know, sometimes sometimes it's just how the, the cards fall, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All that being said, the good, the bad... Not the ugly. That's a very pretty game. Yeah. Uh, where do yeah. we Where do we fall? What kind of ratings are people thinking about? Well, first oh. of all, let's let's talk about the scale that we rate things That's on. That's right. Context is important. Yep. So we rate on a scale from skip it to play it to buy it, with additional ratings for burn it for games that should never have existed and top shelf for games that no game shelf should be without. Have you ever burned a game? We have not. We yeah. Ooh, sounds like you've I'm, got an opinion about that. I not here. This game is damn it. She gorgeous. just stole my thunder. I was gonna say burn it. That <laughs> <laughs> was a lie, by the way. Uh, yeah. No, this game is gorgeous, and it's definitely a play it for me, in the sense that it's similar enough to Between Two Cities with capitals that you might not choose to buy it. Although personally, the theme is better. Because I like castles more than I like cities. <laughs> right, sure. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, I would say buy it with a caveat if you already have between two cities. I'm not sure if I would go out and get this unless you were super passionate about castles. Probably where I stand. There you go. All right. Again, very much a mirror. I like this game. I think it's basically a souped up version of Between Two Cities with the Capitals expansion, as Leslie pointed out. Castles of Mad King Ludwig is a franchise that I very much enjoy, and I think the combination of those two things works very well, but it's fundamentally pretty similar to Between Two Cities. So if you don't already own that, I'd say this is a superior version and you should buy this, but you don't need to own both of them, I don't think. 
Well, I'm going to be a little bit of a dissenting voice and go a little bit further up, and I'm going to put this on my top shelf. Uh, Ooh. I love Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. I mean, Between Two Cities was is one of my favorite games, as well as like Castles being one of also my favorite like games. So put them, to, them together, and the, the mashup of the two has been really, really successful. So I do agree that they... This is honestly, it's very similar to Between Two Cities and especially with the capitals, but I I really like the different perspective of it and just how there's a little bit more definition almost of the interactions between the different rooms and the flavor is really, really interesting. I want to throw a curveball at you. Okay. What about if you compare them to Warsaw City of Ruin? Oh, this this one beats the crap out of that <laughs> yeah in, in fairness i remember when ben told jacob that they were working on this game and it wasn't even public yet yeah. and i thought he was gonna vibrate out of his shoes <laughs> like. it's true it is and yeah very he true. has been very excited about this for a long time i've really wanted to play this game for a while and when i played it it, it lived up to all the expectations that i had of it so for a seven player game that takes less than 45 minutes, this is probably, I would say, the best game that you can get at the moment. So definitely recommend getting this and putting this on your on your shelf. Well, dang. Hard to follow that up, uh, but we're going to try. We're going to do our customary, uh, if you like this, then that. If you enjoy Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig and you're looking for a game with sort of similar gameplay, uh, we encourage you to check out these games that we're about to mention and vice versa. The first that I'll go ahead and mention is Evolution Climate. Evolution Climate features a lot of the same sort of proximity-based gameplay. You're interacting with players to your left, to your right, but it does take that and make it purely competitive. You're not working collaboratively to build anything. You're just preying on them or trying not to get preyed on, predated, eh, whatever. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it's got a really fun theme in itself, obviously very different from castles, but if you're looking for that same sort of positioning-based gameplay, but want it to be more of a purely competitive element, check out Evolution Climate. I would say that competition for a seven-plus person game mm-hmm. that plays in under 45 minutes would definitely be Not Alone. Okay. The gameplay is different. It's a one versus many game, but one person is playing an alien, then mm-hmm. and the other people are trying to escape the alien. Right. Um, and the artwork is really cool. It's a very pretty game. It it's all space art, so the art is very different than this game. And it plays very fast. It's very easy to understand, and it sits in that same seven person mm-hmm. under forty five minute space. And it's a lot smaller actually, um, which I think is. A selling point as well because it's easy to throw in your bag and take with you to the, a convention or the game store yeah, or game night nice. somewhere yep and it's also very very easy to teach and up particularly if you're not playing the the one fighting against mm-hmm. the many because mm-hmm. it's cooperative from the other side yep although hunter always ends up playing the bad guy yeah most of the time <laughs> as you said it's easier to teach that way yeah uh so the one that i would recommend which is going to be a little bit more meaty is Sidereal Confluence. So it can play, I believe, up to nine players, but it definitely plays at least seven. I've never played it with more than, I think, six, maybe seven. It is probably around a two-hour game. Some of the similarities, I think, that uh, really tie this in for me is there is a lot of elements of collaboration, but there's also a little bit of competition mm-hmm. in that you are trading and dealing with all these people 
and trying to get resources so that you can run at your engine that you've got in front of you and build technologies. But then once you've built technologies, you get access to them for a short period of time and then everyone gets to have access to them. So yeah. I feel like there's some level of cooperation there, even though it is a competitive game with points, but it's not coopetition, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. gets a little awkward sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. I think that the fact that you get to do that is very similar between these two games. And it has that same high player count wonderfulness and that almost it's enjoyable with more players because of the fun negotiating that's happening a little bit like the negotiating that can i think happen sometimes with between two castles when Mm -hmm. you're trying to figure out where your rooms should go or you know when they give you hints at what tiles are in the stack you're about to look at Mm. yeah for sure all right and there you have it that's our review of between two castles of mad king ludwig Thank you so much for joining us for this review of Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig. It was great to be back. I've missed you guys. And thank you, of course, to all of our patrons on Patreon. We really appreciate your support. Uh, So thanks especially to our Great Worm patrons. So that would be Sam, Carissa, Casey, Meg, and of course, Hunter. Hey, this guy. I love this guy. (laughs) Thank you very much for your support. As well as, we always like to shout out our third tier Twitch subscriber, Adam Krasberg. Thank you for so much for your support. We really do appreciate it. Washington tickets are now on sale as well. So if you are interested in checking out DC's local gaming convention, go on over to washington.com slash badges and enter promo code DRAGON, D-R-A-G-O-N, to get 10% off on the still discounted price the not-so-early-bird special of $50 per ticket for an adult for the entire weekend or $20 for a child for the entire weekend. So definitely go check that out. And we hope that you join us again next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.